This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture, focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Well, good evening. It's great to be back with you this evening for another episode of the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. If you listened last week, I sat down with a good friend and fellow brother in the faith of mine, Brother T.J. Martin, and we began to kind of unpack his testimony as it relates to Trinitarianism, Oneness Theology, his trek in the midst of going from what he thought he believed about Yeshua the Messiah to what he believes now. It was so good for me to sit down and talk with him about that, and I thought we had such a great broadcast that first sit down that I wanted to kind of do a part two this week. And so what you're about to hear is me and my good friend T.J. Martin sitting down together going through or walking through some more passages, some more texts that relate to the Father and the Son. I want to make it known that you can visit my website at ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. And you can go to the book section of the website and download in PDF format, completely free of charge, an entire full-length book titled who then is this? And subtitled, A Comprehensive Study on the Identity of the Messiah. This book is a very specifically detailed book that covers many, many verses that you've probably heard in relation to this topic about the Father and the Son. We deal in a whole chapter with John 1, 1 through 14. We talk about John 8, 58 in an entire chapter, and we deal with other passages like Philippians 2, 5 through 11, John 17, 5, etc. So many passages are within this one work, and I want to make sure that you have this available. So just go to ministersnewcovenant.org, go to the book section of the site, and look for the book titled, Who Then Is This? So what we're going to do right now is take you to my conversation with a good friend and fellow brother, Brother T.J. Martin. Thanks for listening. Have a great evening. I found in discussing this subject with oneness people that their speech, even in their songs that they sing, and they're talking to you in their speech to others, they're very uneasy about even mentioning the word son. Sure. They don't like to mention it because they don't really believe, I don't think, that they really in their heart believe that Yeshua is the Son of God. Their emphasis is totally and completely on him being God Almighty. And that's why in their church services you see everything is directed to Jesus. Sure. And it's because they believe that he's the ultimate authority, he's the ultimate God. So I found that they're very uncomfortable with that. If somebody is uncomfortable with referring to Yeshua as the Son, then I would suggest that you... Maybe you want to go read the baptism of Yeshua or the Mount of Transfiguration where Yahweh himself spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son. I mean, how much more emphasis could you receive than the Father in heaven and his voice? 
So we shouldn't be uncomfortable speaking about Yeshua the way that the scriptures speak about him. What we should be uncomfortable in doing is this, is giving him any honor or praise or any gratitude that should only go to Father Yahweh. That's right. Father Yahweh has given him a tremendous amount of authority and power. I mean, he's at his right hand in Absolutely. heaven. But obviously we know that Yahweh still is the one that gave him that authority and that power. And so there are some things that we should only honor Yahweh for and not Yeshua. Explain a little bit about the relationship of honor and authority, Pharaoh and Joseph, and how that equates with Yeshua and Yahweh. Pharaoh gives honor to Joseph, gives him authority to be the head over all of Egypt. But Joseph never has power to rule over Pharaoh. He's always secondary in command to Pharaoh, even though he can rule the whole kingdom of Egypt. He's not greater than the one that gives him the authority. The same way with the Messiah. One day, mm -hmm. everything will be placed under the Messiah's feet. All things will be accomplished. All his enemies will be placed under his feet. But Yahweh won't be. That's Yahweh right. will never be placed under his feet. One, he's not his enemy. But two, he'll never be subject to the one that he give authority to. That's right. You know, you know, it says in Genesis there with Pharaoh and Joseph that Pharaoh puts his own signet ring on Joseph's finger and lets him ride in that beautiful, magnificent chariot and gives him a, his own Egyptian name. And he says, only in the throne will I be greater than you. You have authority over all the land of Egypt. Right. But yet we know that Joseph still did not have ultimate authority. Right. Pharaoh had given him that authority. That's another thing I pointed out in the last broadcast, how that Yeshua, according to Matthew 28:18, had to have all authority given to him. That's sure. something that just went right in one ear and out the other with me for a long time because I was raised one that's Pentecostal in church, the church that I went to, and the messages that I hear all taught that Jesus was God. Of course, we said, well, he has to be God because he has all authority, but I never put two and two together. He had to be given or delegated that particular authoritative position, much like Joseph. And that's why we bring up the issue with Pharaoh and Joseph. It's definitely a type of the Messiah. Even when all authority is given to him, he doesn't lose his position. Pharaoh doesn't lose his position. He gives him something that he has. Mm -hmm. He doesn't give him himself. He's still Pharaoh. Right. He's still Pharaoh, and his power comes with his title. That's right. Joseph doesn't become Pharaoh. He just becomes in charge of everything that he has. Mm -hmm. It's the same way with Yahweh and his perfect son. He's given authority. He's given all that authority, but he's not given authority over Yahweh. Mm -hmm. You don't release authority over yourself. You know? That's right. If we look at Hebrews chapter 1, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophet at different times and in different ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact expression of his nature, and he sustains all things by his powerful work. The Messiah here, his son, that he has appointed all things, didn't have all things. Or he couldn't be appointed all things. He couldn't be the heir of anything if he already has everything. I don't understand how we can be joint heirs with the Messiah if he's Yahweh. Mm -hmm. We can't be joint heirs with Yahweh, but we can be joint heirs with the Son of God mm -hmm. because we're made sons of God through his perfect life. Absolutely. You know, So the heir part being there, 
my point behind that is he's given all things. He's given all authority. He's given all power. He's given these things to say. He says, I do nothing except that which my father gives me to do. I say nothing except that which my father tells me to say. So if we look at that in context, he's not doing this on his own. He's doing this because this is something that Yahweh's put in it. That's right. And in Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, let's touch on this a little bit. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, where it talks about God who in various ways and at past times spoke to us long ago by the prophets. Now notice, let's stop right there for a second. That was God that was speaking, but it says that he spoke to us by the prophets. And that's right. something called principle of agency. We'll touch on that here in just a second. But notice at the end of that verse it says, Hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Now, who's speaking to us? Well, it's God. Yeah. Just like God spoke right. to us by the prophets in the last days, God speaks to us by his Son. But the Son, just like the prophets, is separated That's from right. God. That's right. That's another point there in Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. We could go down to verse 3, as TJ read in that particular translation. It says that the Son is the exact representation of his nature. Right. Uh, the Greek there is the character of his hypostasis. And the word character carries with it the idea of something that is a duplicate That's or right. a copy. And Yahweh is never said to be a copy of Yeshua. No way. But here in this text, Yeshua is said to be a copy of Yahweh. That word in Greek literature, anciently, was used of taking a ring and dipping it into hot wax and making a seal in that hot wax. Whereas when you looked at that wax, you could see the symbol that originated from the ring. Right. The symbol looked like the symbol on the ring. Right. But the symbol wasn't the ring. Right. The ring is what made the symbol. And then, of course, we go to, um, you read it a second ago where it talks about how that through whom he made the universe, or some translation says through whom he made the worlds. And obviously there, Yahweh is still the creator because right. it's talking about Yahweh making the worlds, or the Greek is Ionius, which means ages, through somebody else. And so even if we were to grant what's sometimes called the literal preexistent view, it's still Yahweh as the authority. Sure. making the worlds or the ages through someone else. And I personally believe that that's referring to Yahweh making the worlds through his son in a notional sense, in that he always has had the son in view. He's the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth, and he creates all of the ages, whether it's the age of Abraham or the age of Moses, etc., through the plan of his son. Everything was done for his son, through his son. He's building a stage. The whole world is yeah. just a stage setting for his son so Good that he point. can... He can come and take over and, and rule the kingdom that his father's built for him. Yeah. With his son in mind, it's like if I created a business, I've got a, I own a construction business. And if I built that business, and initially when I started it, I said I would like to build a business that my oldest daughter could have. If I created that business with my daughter in mind, I wasn't creating the business for anything except I worked hard and diligent to build something up, a stage for my daughter to take off with so that she could run the business one day and make it something great for herself. I think that's exactly why the universe was created. You quoted Revelation 13:8, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Well, Yeshua was as good as dead before he was ever born. You know, that's another point. We don't have him here prior to his existence in Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 2. We don't, we don't have him here prior to his existence, but yet he was already slain. Not slain in physical form. He didn't die until the day of Golgotha. He didn't die until then. 
but he mm-hmm. was slain in, in Yahweh's mind from the foundation of the world. Isaiah knew he was slain somewhat mm-hmm. five, six hundred years prior to his death. Mm-hmm. He knew that he was going to die. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was as good as dead. It didn't matter. In Yahweh's eyes, he was going to have to kill him because of the transgression and the sin of men. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. That's a point that we need to always keep in mind is that a lot of times, as TJ quoted Isaiah 53, things are spoken of prophetically in a way that sounds as though they've already taken place. Sure. And the reason that is is because when Yahweh plans something out, it's as good as done. And so people ask me, they say, well, Matthew, do you believe that God created the world through his son? I say, yes, I do. And then I ask them, do you believe that Christ was slain before the foundations of the world? And they say, well, sure, the Bible says that. I said, well, how do you understand that, though? The same way they understand Christ slain before the foundations of the world is how I understand God creating all things through, by means of, or for Christ, as Hebrews 1 says. Let's deal a little bit, brother, with the whole principle of agency, because that's very important, and I think it's a key to understanding this subject. A lot of people approach me, and you as well, they say, well, over here in Isaiah 43, verse 11, Yahweh said, I alone and the Savior. But over here in the New Testament, say for instance, Luke chapter 2, the birth narrative of Christ, where the shepherds are in the field and the angels say, today is born to you a Savior who is the Messiah, the Master. So here they say, well, God's called the Savior. He always called the Savior. And over here, Yeshua is called a Savior. So that has to mean that Yeshua is Yahweh. Of course, you know they do it with many other titles too. So how do we understand that text? The word Savior there could be applied to Moses, the judges. All these are saviors. They're representatives of Yahweh. When the angels come, they're representatives of Yahweh. Yahweh says he put his name in the angel, and we're to listen to him, the one that went before the Israelites throughout the wilderness. When the angel speaks, he speaks as if he's Yahweh. That doesn't mean that he is Yahweh. That just means he represents his authority. It's common throughout Hebrew thought, we see this over and over and over again in the Bible. I know that we talked about one the other day in in the book of Acts. When Paul, he's on the road to Damascus. Yeshua, you know, knocks him down on the road to Damascus. And he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Well, the Messiah's already in. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. How is Paul persecuting the Messiah? He's not. The way he's persecuting the Messiah is he's going to kill the followers of the Messiah. He's going to persecute those. And by persecuting those, likewise, mm-hmm. he's persecuting the Messiah. And it's principle and agency. In other words, everything that you do to them, you do to me. Yeah. There's a account in one of the Gospels, I believe it's the Gospel of Matthew, where Yeshua is talking about his ministry. And he says that he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me okay and a little bit before that he's talking about his disciples they're going out to the ministry and he says to them anybody that receives you receives me right why because they're his agents sure likewise yeshua is the agent of yahweh and then we have a text like in exodus chapter 7 where the very first plague placed upon the egyptians was the nile river being turned into blood yahweh tells moses and aaron I will strike the Nile River with the rod that is in my hand. A few verses later, Aaron takes his rod and strikes the Nile River with the rod that is in his hand. Right. 
Now, using the exact same logic of the oneness view or the Trinitarian view, we would have to say that Aaron is Yahweh because Aaron's hand is equated there with Yahweh's hand. But the understanding of that is Aaron is the agent of Yahweh. Right. He's the agent of Yahweh. Do you remember that verse? We talk to people about this, TJ. You remember that verse in Matthew 25 where Yeshua looks at these people there on judgment and he says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. That's right. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. And they look back at him and said, yeah. when did we do, not do this unto you? Right. And he said, every time that you didn't do it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it unto me. Principle in agency. The agent acts as the principle in all of these texts. Very Hebraic principle. And we have to remember that the Bible was written from a Hebraic point of view, not a, you know, a Greek philosophical point of view or a 21st century point of view, but a very Hebrew-minded point of view. Our whole point is that when we see where there are shared titles with the Father and the Son, we also see where those exact same titles are shared with other human beings. And so for us to say that Yeshua is Yahweh because they're both called Savior, that means we'd have to go to the book of Judges and say Ophniel and Ehud are also Yahweh because they're called saviors, Yasha in Hebrew. Moses is called a deliverer, Yasha in Hebrew. So does that mean Moses is Yahweh too? No. Yahweh is the ultimate authority. He's the ultimate savior. Everything branches out from Yahweh. Sure. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14, you need to memorize this verse. It says that the Father sent the Son to be the savior of the world. And so who is salvation stemming from there? Well, it's stemming ultimately from the Father. And the sure. Son would not even be the Savior unless the Father sent him to be that Savior. So you have one that is the sender and then another one that is the one who is sent. Now I think there's a text in John where it says, He that is sent is not greater than he that has sent him. That's right. Let's discuss a text, Brother TJ, that I was not familiar with my whole childhood. But it's the most quoted text from the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's quoted or alluded to some 23 times in the New Testament. And this is a text that Trinitarians and Oneness people do not talk about very often. And it's Psalm 110, verse 1. David says in the English translation, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And we should notice that there are not one, but two lords in that text. Now, I know that might go against what you have thought in the past, or maybe you're saying, well, I know some scriptures in the New Testament, like in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians, that talk about one Lord, and maybe we'll get to those here in a second. But here in Psalm 110, which is a foundational passage, the most quoted passage in the New Testament, David talks about two Lords. Comment a little bit on those two lords there. In verse 1, Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, Yahweh declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool. The first Lord being Yahweh, the second Lord being Adonai. The Adonai is never used to reference Yahweh. Yahweh is the, is the tetragrammaton there, and Adonai is usually used with a, even an earthly king. Yeah. Angels, angelic beings, stuff like that. That's what the word is applied to, but never is that word applied to Yahweh itself. And specifically, David's writing right here of a 
future prophecy. Sure. You know, when he says, Yahweh said unto my Lord, who's David's Lord? David's yeah. Lord is the Messiah. But he says, Yahweh saith unto my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool. Well, what does he say unto the Messiah? Sit yeah. in my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool. Everything will be placed under the Messiah's feet mm -hmm. when Yahweh's finished with it. And that's what he's talking about. But the Messiah is definitely not Yahweh. We have two different lords here. One being Yahweh, the one that's going to place everything under mm. his Adonai's feet. Mm. That's good. Definitely two lords. So what will we say to a text like somebody brings up 1 Corinthians 8 where it says that there's one Lord, Yeshua, the Messiah, through whom are all things, and we exist for him. 1 Corinthians 8, I think, beginning at verse 6. What will we say to that when they say, well, 1 Corinthians 8 says there's only one Lord. But yet we just saw, we just saw, well, there were definitely two Lords in Psalm 110. And, and obviously we know, Brother TJ, later scriptural revelation should always harmonize with previous scriptural revelation. None of it would contradict. So Psalm was definitely written before 1 Corinthians. But we don't want to throw 1 Corinthians 8 out. So how do we understand? Go into that a little bit. You might want to read before it, however you want to do that. Let's just start in verse 5. It says, For even there are so-called gods, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, through whom are all things, and we through him. The lords, there are many lords in the sense of titles. Mm-hmm. And there are many gods in the sense of titles. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, look, there are many gods. You know, we have Baal and Moloch and things like that. But for us, there's one God. It's Yahweh. If God was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this would be an ideal time for Paul to make that statement. Absolutely. But when he identifies the one God, notice who he identifies the one God as. He says, but to us there is but one God, comma, the Father. Sure. And then he goes on to speak of this one Lord, but he's talking about one Lord Messiah. He's not talking about one Lord in the sense of Yahweh, sovereign Lord. Right. He's talking about one Lord Messiah. There's only one Lord Messiah. That's Yeshua. He's the uniquely the one Lord Messiah. That does not negate or contradict the two Lords of Psalm 110 verse 1. So right. people need to understand one God, that's the Father. Not the Father and the Son and right. the Holy Spirit. That's right. But just the Father, okay? And then one Lord here, Yeshua the Messiah. So, like I said, we believe in these texts of Scripture, and we love to talk about them with people. But we want people also to recognize that there are a myriad of Bible verses that are not being taught from the pulpits of their church. Most people don't even know about passages like John 17:3 and 1 Timothy 2, 5. Mark twelve twenty eight through thirty two, first John four fifteen, etc. etc. passages I've talked about for the last couple of weeks. Mark thirteen thirty two, brother T J, where Yeshua says, No man knows the day nor the hour of his second coming, uh, neither the angels that are in heaven, nor the Son, but my Father only. It's amazing what people do to try to make the Son know when he plainly says he doesn't know. You would have to make him know that that's the only way around the verse. If he's God, he's he's omniscient. And if he's not God, then there's a possibility that he couldn't know. Yeah. And and we accept that it's it's okay that he doesn't know something. Yeah. It's quite all right with me. I believe that the Messiah was honest 
when he says, no man knoweth the day nor the hour, not the son of man nor the angels in heaven, I believe that. It's okay if he doesn't know. There's still a creator that does know. He knows when he's coming back. He knows when he's going to send him. And that's all right with me. I don't have to make Yeshua deity in order to serve him. He's still my master. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, we were reading just a second ago, there's one God, which is the Father, Yahweh, right. and there's one Lord, the that's Messiah. Right. We serve the Messiah. Hey, we've been bought with a price. Yahweh killed his only begotten son. And notice he killed him. It wasn't that uh, the Messiah didn't go to the cross or go to the torture state willingly. I believe that he did that. But Yahweh had to kill him. He had to slay his own son. Mm -hmm. And it says that it pleased him. Yeah. It pleased him to bruise his son, to break him, you know. So since it pleased him, and I've been bought with a price, and that price that Yahweh paid for my soul, he did so with the blood of his, his only begotten son. Mm -hmm. I'm going to serve him. You know, I'm going to do everything that he's asked me to do. And, and it's okay with me that Yeshua wasn't God. It's all right with me that he was the son of God. He's still more important than any man or any creature that's ever walked the face of this earth. Mm -hmm. Yahweh was really making a sacrifice when he gave his only begotten son. If he died himself, I don't think it's the same sacrifice, or at least it's not as impressive to me as to lose your only begotten son. If, if my brother was fixing to die, it would be a whole lot easier for me to jump in front of the bullet than it would be to give one of my daughters up hmm. for him. You know, it would be a whole lot easier for me to lay down my life for my brother than it would to stick my daughter in front of a bullet that was fisting to take him. But yeah. that's what he did for us. He gave us his only, his only begotten son, his truly unique son. Mm -hmm. What do you say to people when they say things like, well, TJ, in order for us to be forgiven, it had to be God that died for our sins. How do you answer something like that? I just ask them, where's the verse at? Because yeah. because it's just not there. There's no verse. There's not even a verse outside of prophecy. We can't even look at it in in the sense of atonement for sin like, like with the Old Testament. No man can shed his blood for another man's sin with the exception of Yahweh making the promise through prophecy. But that's not law, you know what I mean? They didn't kill men for the forgiveness of sins and things like that. But there's not a verse that says it has to be Yahweh. Mm. Yahweh said that he would give his anointed. Mm -hmm. That's you know, right. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for the anointed of Yahweh. To be the anointed, you have to be anointed by somebody. That's right. Well, nobody can anoint Yahweh. Acts chapter 3 real quick, if you want to go there. Sure. Look at it real quick. Yes, verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, which is Yahweh, has glorified or anointed his servant, Yeshua, whom you handed over and denied the presence of Pilate when he had declared to release him. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says he has anointed his servant, whom you handed over. Well, nobody anoints Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And it plainly says that the God anointed his servant. Mm. We know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is Yahweh. We know that the servant here is Yeshua. It says his mm -hmm. servant, Yeshua. If Yahweh anoints Yeshua, then Yahweh can't be Yeshua. That's right. At least on the oneness view, to combat that a little bit, and then on the Trinitarian side of things, the Trinitarian doctrine states, you know, co-equal, co-eternal, co-immortal, all three parts of the Godhead have to share these attributes. Well, you lose one of those attributes. If Yahweh has to anoint his servant and the secondary part of the Godhead becomes lesser to be a servant of the primary part of the Godhead, mm -hmm. the equality is gone there, mm -hmm. you know. Well, do you think that God can die? The Bible says the only eternal immortal yeah. God, and I believe that it's speaking specifically of Yahweh. And we know that Yeshua died. 
If he didn't die, we've got problems. Mm -hmm. We've got major problems. He's not the true lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Mm. We definitely believe that Yahweh can't die. Yahweh's sovereign. He's the immortal God. You know, he never dies, things like that. But the son, he was predestined to die before the foundation of the world. Mm -hmm. We know that he's going to die. There's no way that the son can be the father, at least in one right there. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.